Uh, we've been talking about how to enjoy your Bible, and uh, this is uh, lesson number five, and uh, I've just decided I would take the holiday season to do this uh, since, most, so, since folks kind of drift in, drift out, family and so forth going on, and travel time and everything, because really for a lot of it, it is just a way of reminder, and it's uh, been a long time since we taught this for the YouTube and so forth, but it is a good reminder. And it's safe. Paul says there to the Philippians to write these things. It's not grievous, but for you it's safe. And there's safety and understanding that we, the, the stuff that we should be rooted and grounded in. And for some, again, I look around the room and some are just learning and coming to understand right division. And it's good to have this on board because it helps. Um, you see the big chart. After my scribble last week, I decided to put the chart up. And we'll use that instead of me scribbling on, except now I'm thinking about everything I wanted to write that's not on there, so we'll see how the struggle goes this morning with the preacher. This morning, though, last time, we, we looked at the issues of time past, and we looked at the issues of the Old Testament. The goal in the Old Testament is talking about a coming Messiah who's going to bring in a coming kingdom a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom is going to literally, physically be here on the earth, stationed in Jerusalem, and when that kingdom is on the earth, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, when God sets up his kingdom, okay, when that happens, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sickness, animal life, everything will go back to Genesis 1, one condition prior to the fall. And what happens is, is starting with Abraham, Abraham's the main guy, Abraham, it's the Abrahamic covenant, the blessings are going to flow through Abraham's seed out to the, the, the families of the earth, Genesis 12 says, the, the kingdoms, the, the Gentiles, Genesis 10 calls them, and Abraham is the guy, and Abraham gives this issue of circumcision established to him as a sign of the covenant. The covenant with Abraham is an everlasting covenant, it's an everlasting possession of the land, and because of that, that means underlying very fundamental issue in the Abrahamic covenant is eternal life. Okay? So he sets them apart. He leaves the Gentiles. Romans chapter number 1, that he gave them up. Three strikes and you're out at the old ball game. It, the Gentiles at the Tower of Babel, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, right, before, right as he's calling Abraham as his nation and his people, the Gentiles said, we will not have God. We will be our own God. We'll have our own thought process. We'll have our own religion. We'll have our own. And God gave them up. Acts chapter, uh, in, in Acts, God, uh, he did something. He always does something. He, he let man go in his own. I, I butchered the verse, but anyway, you look for it. It's in Acts. About 17, something like that. You need to stay in Romans 15. This is a quick review so we can get moving this morning, okay? He let the Gentiles go. He gave them up to their own. He gave them over to the reprobate mind. He just let them go. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. He said, fine, you don't need me. I don't need you. I'm going to establish my own nation, Abraham. Coming out of Abraham, we have Isaac and Jacob. Isaac, Isaac not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. The younger shall serve the, I'm sorry, the elder shall serve the younger. And that's the way that God had designed it. And the seed line comes up and it begins to produce the, what, what will be the nation of Israel. 
That starts with Moses. What else did Moses bring in? He brought in the law, the Ten Commandments here. So we have Moses. He comes on board. He's now the lawgiver. He's the deliverer. They brings them out of Egypt. God says, Israel is my firstborn. Firstborn how? Out of Egypt. God birthed them out of Egypt. That's why in John 3, he looks at Nicodemus and says, don't you know you need to be born again? See, and everybody goes, oh, that's you and I. No, it's not you and I. See, it's Israel and this issue of their new covenant out here in the future. And then you have David and Solomon, and you've got a lot of Old Testament history in there where the kingdom gets, in King David and in King Solomon, Israel gets a taste of what it is to be God's people in the earth, to have the riches of the Gentiles flow into them. David was a bloody man. That's why he couldn't build the house for God. Solomon had to do that. Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk the earth. And the, the Queen of Sheba says the half was not told. Just the wealth that comes in. Now we come, Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now we're going to start there because now we come, Genesis to Malachi. Genesis to Malachi, the kingdom is prophesied, it's talked about. The world sits under the circumcision issue. They sit underneath that middle wall of partition. Circumcision is up. Israel's the issue. The earth's the issue. The law is the operating system. The hope is the kingdom. But now, excuse me, after Malachi, we come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And everybody goes, oh, see, there we are. We're in the New Testament. No, you're not. The New Testament doesn't start until the death of the testator. Hebrews tells us that. So if you're in the New Testament at all in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is in the last chapters of each of those books. Jesus Christ was made under the law, made of a woman, made under the law. The law is still in play. So we come now to the promised, prophesied Messiah. And as we come to this next section in the Scriptures, the Gospels, We come to the life and the ministry of the most unique and important person ever to have lived on the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come into where he is the minister of the circumcision. The Gospels are going to set forth his earthly life, his earthly ministry, and what he's all about. So when we come and we're going to see John the Baptist, we're going to see the Lord, we'll see the 12 apostles. When we come, nothing is changing as far as the law and circumcision and Israel being the channel of the blessings, but now things are changing in Israel's program. There's a dispensational shift in Israel's program because the kingdom is prophesied, and now the kingdom is what? At hand. And things are shifting, and we'll see that. When we come into Matthew, come over to Matthew 10. I gave you a long list on your handout there. We'll see some of it. I did that so you would have it, so you can go study it and look into it in greater detail. Matthew chapter 10. The Gospels are going to look at Jesus Christ was the minister of the circumcision to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Why did he come? To confirm the promises made back here to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He didn't come because it was, oh, I'm bored, let's go do something. He came because there's a purpose, there's a reason he is going to come. Remember we looked briefly, I know, at Daniel 9, the timeline. He comes right on the prophetic time schedule. Right when it's time, boom, he's there. Right when he needs to be, here he comes. He's born of a virgin, Mary, boom, he's there, he grows, he goes, and off he goes. In Matthew 10, you see some things here about what's happening in the Gospels. Matthew 10, the whole chapter, is the Great Commission, if you want to use that terminology. By the way, that terminology is not Bible terminology. It is not even Christian terminology, really. It was made up in the 1800s by some missionaries who were trying to raise money from the people in Europe, Britain specifically, and the people here in the States. And they tried to drum up Matthew 28 and say, see, we ought to be out here preaching to all the nation. And, and they use this great commission metaphor, and they attach it to Matthew 28. In reality, it sits right here in chapter 10. What's he going to do? Verse 1, and when he, that's the Lord, had called unto him 12, his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, and he names them, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, who's the focus audience here? It's still Israel. It's still the Old Testament situation. It's still Israel, Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. By the way, the Samaritans are the representatives of the ten northern tribes that, that under Jeroboam and Rehoboam refused to go back and recognize Jerusalem as the main city, the city of the king, and they set up their competing religion, and God let Assyria take them. Don't go to those people. They didn't give allegiance. They didn't give loyalty where it belonged. They're, they're not my people. Cut them off. Don't go to the Gentiles. We cut them off back here. They're not. But go to who? Israel. So Israel is the issue. Come over to chapter 15 of Matthew. When you come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you and I are not the audience. Matthew 15 and verse 24. Matthew 15, 24. But he, and this will be the Lord, answered and said, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who do you think the Lord knew he was going to? He's going to Israel. He ain't going to anybody else. He has no, no inkling, no thought, no grand idea of going to the Gentiles. Now, will the Gentiles one day receive the blessings through Israel? Yes, that's the prophecy. That's the goal. But not here, not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here, the issue, come over to Mark 1. By the way, John 4 there, uh, if you look there at John 4, in verse 22, he, he says here to the, to the woman at the well, he says, Ye worship not, ye, wor ye worship ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Very clear. When you come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are not talking about you and I. The Lord isn't. He's talking about to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that gets to be critical when you begin to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because a lot of times you hear Christians today bring us into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you ain't there. He's not talking to you. He's talking to the lost. Okay, you get the point? Say it again. I'll say it over and over again. 
come to Mark chapter 1. So the Jews are the issue. We're, so guess where we're at in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Time past. We're in the past. We're not in the future. We're not right now. We're in the past. Mark chapter 1, verse 44. And said unto him, See thou, see thou say nothing to any man, but go... By the way, the Lord just healed the leper. He's cleansed. He, the Lord instructs him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go the way... Go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. You go and do Leviticus chapter 14. So who's on board here? Moses is. The law is. The law, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 23, he tells them, those that sit in Moses' seat, authority, don't be like them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. So when we come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we come in, we, don't, we didn't miss a beat from the Old Testament. We're just moving right along, still going on, still happening, still, same economy. Israel, circumcision, Moses, the law, Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I, and the I here is the Lord Jesus Christ, am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you keep reading, what are they going to be teaching over here in the kingdom? What are they going to be teaching in the new covenant? The law, not Mosaic, Messianic. By the way, it's the same law. Moses is the, the, the Mosaic law has that if-then clause to it, Exodus 19. The Messianic law has the new covenant clause, I will write my law in your hearts and cause you to do it. Moses, you can't do it. If you could, then I'll bless you. You can't, I'm going to curse you. Contract agreement. The new covenant, by the way, the new covenant is established with them in his second coming as they go into that kingdom. If we shut the board, which is where we're headed. So you keep, so what's going on? Moses, Israel, you're in Matthew 5. Look at Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Matthew 4 and verse 23. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Guess what's being preached now? The gospel of the kingdom. But what about the gospel of the kingdom? You know, see, that, that, if you come over to chapter 9 of Matthew... In verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So the, when, it, when we come to the gospels, we're coming to a situation that is a carryover of the old, but now it's a new thing. It's a, there's a new component to it. And the gospel of the kingdom They've been talking about the kingdom coming, but what is the good news of the kingdom now? It's here. It's at hand. 
Matthew 3, we'll get over there in just a minute. It's at hand, okay? So my point here is when we come, in, come to Matthew 1, when we come into the Gospels, we are not leaving the ground of the Old Testament. Israel, Moses, the law, circumcision, it's all there. It's all the same. Just as we came out of Matthew, our Genesis to Malachi, as we go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're not leaving that economy at all. It's a continuation of. However, Matthew 1, verse 1, could imagine coming and reading your Hebrew Bible, and then you read Matthew 1, 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Who in the world is Jesus Christ? Because that's the first time in the scriptures that you read that title, name, Jesus Christ. You don't read it in the Old Testament. Who is this? Who is this son of David? Now, we know who Abraham is, and we know who David is, and we know the covenants and the agreements, but who is this guy? Who's Jesus Christ? So you get a genealogy, don't you? And you get a, you, 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 you've got a shift here. Come over to Luke 16. By the way, you're in Matthew 1. If you look there at Matthew 3, uh, verse number 2, John the Baptist. See, there's a new guy. We got a new guy. We got old JB up here now, John the Baptist. Verse 1, preaching in the wilderness of Judah, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have a shift. We have a new phase in starting in Israel's program. We've got John the Baptist talking about the kingdom of heaven at hand. Come over to uh, Luke 16. And, and we've got this guy named Jesus Christ. We've never heard about him. Now, they, they will as he goes along and says what? I'm the Messiah, and here's the works and everything. This is how you know. I'm who I Okay? But they don't know. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to your Bible. If you're reading, and you read, you come through Genesis to Acts, Israel, 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 Israel. And then you read a book, the next book after Acts is what? Romans. The hatred, the hated enemies got a book written to them. What's going on? This is crazy. Ah, the uproar. Until they find out what? What is Romans? A new dispensation. I mean, you think about your Bible, how God has laid it out and, and put it together. It's startling now to be reading a book of Romans. Guess what? It's startling to be reading about the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Because they weren't anticipating him. They weren't looking for him. Luke 16 and verse 16. The law and the prophets were until who? John. What's the main force until John the Baptist? The law and the prophets. What are they doing? They're talking about a kingdom. They're talking the law, how to live, how to function in that kingdom as God's people. But we got a kingdom. And what does he say? Since that time, since what? John, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into that. We have a new beginning with John. We have a new beginning in Israel's program. The law and the prophets, they weren't done away with. They have prophesied exclusively. What was John? John is the one that's crying in the wilderness, Isaiah says. Here's John. He shows up right on time, right where he should be. And with John's announcement of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
What do we have? We have a new beginning in Israel's history, in Israel's program. We come along, and now the gospel is going to be the gospel of the kingdom. And we have a shift here. And that's important to grasp. We didn't leave Moses. We don't leave the law. We don't leave the Old Testament. But now we just move into a new, a new realm, a new dispensation, a, a, new, a new area. Okay? So the gospel of the kingdom. Again, if you go back to... to uh, Matthew 3, Matthew chapter 3, and verse number 2, John here, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's Isaiah 40. The prophets have told that John's coming. John shows up right on time. What's he say? Hey, the kingdom is at hand. The good news of the kingdom is it's here. The law and the prophets have been talking about it. They've been prophesying about it. And guess what? It is here now. Okay? Now, the interesting thing, come over to Luke 9. Because, again, what happens is, is people have a lot of kooky ideas about the cross work and what these guys are preaching. Get Luke 9 and verse number 6. Luke 9 and verse number 6. So we, this is Luke's uh, Matthew 10, okay? Verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, what gospel are they preaching? Well, it contains healing and casting out unclean spirits, but they're preaching a good news. Well, come over to chapter 18 of Luke. Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18 and verse 31. Then he, and this will be the Lord, took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Oh, see, there's the gospel. That's what they're preaching. He didn't keep reading. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. You see, they didn't get it. So when, he comes, when you come back to Matthew chapter 4, and they're preaching the gospel, Matthew 4 verse 23, Matthew, well, that's not the right one. How about... Oh, it helps to be in Matthew, not Mark. My bad. Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So then what would the gospel that they're preaching have to do with? The kingdom. Brilliant. You all have PhDs now. That's how simple this stuff is. 
But what do they make? What does Christianity want to do? They make it the, the the death, burial, and resurrection. They make it 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, and it's not. What is it? It has to do with the establishment of the kingdom. So, the, so when you come over, if you, if you look at, you're in Matthew, again, chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus is out and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. So when you think about the king, the gospel, the good news that Christ is preaching, it does not about his death, burial, and resurrection. When he began to sh- tell them that, by the way, are you in Matthew? Look at Matthew 16. When he's been telling them about that, he's not, they, they don't understand. They're going to argue with him. They're going to fight with him. Look at Matthew 16. 16, verse 21. Just a verse on this real quick here. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth, what's the word? Began. Matthew 16, 21. Jesus to show his disciples that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders uh, and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Matthew 16, 21. Prior to Matthew 16, 21, the Lord never spoke anything about going to Jerusalem and dying and raising again the third day. From Matthew 6, 21 onward, he began to tell them. Three times, actually, he tells them. And you know what Peter says? No, no, and no. It ain't going to happen. And you know what the Lord says? Yeah, it is. And you're going to deny me three times in recognition of that it did. So what you have when you come to the Gospels is, again, come over to Matthew 19. What you have is you have a shift now within Israel's program. Law is still on board. Circumcision is still there. The Gentiles are still outcast. The, um, uh, the, the focus is the kingdom is at hand. Matthew 19 and verse 28, verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have thereof? That is a legitimate question. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Peter's being self-centered and an egotistical maniac here. That is is a legitimate question because the Lord has told them what discipleship was, and that is you forsake all and follow me. You forsake mom and dad and brother and sister. You forsake money. You forsake that over there, and you come and follow me. And, And Peter says, okay, we've done all that. What's in it for us? Verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What's he doing? He's establishing the governmental structure of what? The kingdom that's at hand. Okay? Now, you're in Matthew. Look at Matthew 21. And look at verse 43. The Lord Jesus Christ talking to the Pharisees and the chief priests and the leadership of Israel. He's looking at them, verse 43, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. You see that a nation, not nations, not Gentiles, but a nation within the nation of Israel. So what's he doing? He's establishing his kingdom, his governmental structure. Come over to Luke 12, Luke chapter 12, and verse 
Luke 12 and verse um, 31. Luke 12, 31. You see, what's happening, what we're learning here is we got to have a kingdom prophesied. Now it's time to say it's at hand. So we got to get this king, we got to get things set up. We got to get the government set up. We got to get the people, the nation set up. Luke 12, 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what's he doing? He's gathering up that believing remnant, that little flock. And he's getting them ready. And he gets them ready by looking at them and saying, you got to go be baptized of John. Now come over to Luke. You're in Luke. Look at Luke chapter uh, 7. Luke chapter 7. And what happens is, is now water baptism becomes an issue in Israel. Prior to, is, prior to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, water baptism belonged to one group of people, and that was the priesthood, Luke chapter 7. Okay. Now, what's God doing? Through John the Baptist, he's preparing the way, he's making the way straight. He, John's baptizing in Jordan, he's doing all of this. And then he comes in, Luke 7, verse 29... Luke 7, verse 29, And all the people that heard him, the publicans, justified God. They declared God to be right. How? How did they do that? Being baptized with the baptism of John. Because what is the ultimate goal for the nation of Israel? To be that kingdom of priest, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. And the first thing that happens to the priest is they are water baptized. They are cleansed. That's why in the New Covenant, Ezekiel 36 and so forth, he says, I will sprinkle clean you with clean water. Why? I've got to cleanse you of your idolatry. I've got to separate you away from. So now water baptism is on play for not just a specific group of people, the priests, but for everybody. Because, by the way, look at verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized. So now we've got a group within Israel that are apostate. They're unbelievers. They're not believing in that Lord Jesus Christ is Messiah, is who he claimed to be. They're not believing John the Baptist to come in the spirit of Elijah and to establish the fact that there stands our Messiah, the one that's going to bring in the kingdom. It's time for the kingdom to be established. It's at hand. Get it right. Repent. Change your mind. Change the way you think about this because it's time. You follow? Okay. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <coughs> Come over to Acts 13. Watch Paul. By the way, this is, more, this is bigger than just the individual case. Look at Acts 13. Here's the Apostle Paul in verse 24. Acts, 20, uh, Acts 13, 24. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. John preached a national baptism. Why? Because if you're going to go through the door, the door's water baptism, the porter is John the Baptist. He's going to open the door. You're going to go through baptism to get into that nation, bringing forth fruits of righteousness the fruits of the kingdom. The Lord looks at that apostate nation and says, your law, you lose, they win. You're going to hell, lake of fire, they're going in. You're the chaff and the floor of the garner, Matthew 3, 11 and 12, that's going to get burned up 
They're, getting the, they're the wheat going to go into the garden. And guess what? That's a Jew. They're an Israelite, and they're an Israelite. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. They believe. They hear the voice of the shepherd, and they, and they know him, John 10. So you begin to have this issue about coming in now and working with and cleaning up and fixing and getting ready the nation of Israel. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. It's time for God to establish the kingdom. It's right on the, the 69 weeks are ticking. And it's time. And you people are the people that I'm using to do this with. Now come over to to John 1, John chapter 1. The reason I kind of little hear about water baptism is because water baptism gets used as a key to hit you over the head with, to make you think you need to be doing something when you don't need to be doing it because it's not yours to begin with. It belongs to who? It belongs to Israel's program. By the way, water baptism is not just Jewish. It is also Gentile. That's what Matthew 28 tells us. Out here in the kingdom, they're going to be baptizing Gentiles. Water baptism is kingdom. That's what it is. It goes to everybody. Where? In the kingdom. Okay? John 1, verse 30. This is he. This is John, verse 29. The next day John, seeing Jesus come unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After he cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Why does John say he's baptizing with water? To make some people manifest. To make them manifest broadcast, here they are, Turn, put the spotlight on them. Now, specifically here, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, but who's he being identified with? That little flock, that believing remnant. Okay? You guys okay? All right? You have to think some of this through a little bit. So, Matthew 3, verse 11 and 12, we have John the Baptist. By the way, and he just... Verse 7, start there, Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw, by the, verse 6, and was baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. It's interesting. The sins there is not, well, I stole a pen from work. I cut Bruce off in the line and ate before him. I wasn't thinking of him. I was thinking of me. It isn't that. This is national, folks. What sins has Israel committed nationally? They've rebelled against God. They've rebelled against the covenant. You know why? Because they've got other gods. They're in Baal worship. They're in, that van They're in the traditions of men, the traditions of the Father. See, there's their sin and sins. It isn't, oh, I stole a pen from church. <laughs> you know, I said a bad word. No. It's... What, what have they done now? It's Daniel 9. When Daniel looks at the nations and says, we have transgressed against thee. See. So verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. Who's the viper in the Bible? Satan is. He's a serpent. 
generations generation generated by not generation number wise generation he's you guys have been generated by your father the devil you're in the satanic rebellion program but, but who are these guys they're Jews they're bigwigs who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist is the one that coins the phrase to come. There's a wrath coming where God's going to pour out his wrath on that nation. Purge out, you vipers. Get rid of the dross. Get rid of the rebels. And then take his nation into the kingdom. How do I get out of that? I get baptized by, by John. I get John's baptism. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat, the believing remnant, into the garner. That's the kingdom. He will burn up the chaff. That's apostate Israel with unquenchable fire. That's the 70th week and then into the lake of fire ultimately. Why? Because they're not his people. What, who are they? They're just people who have rejected. You see, when you come in here, water baptism is a critical component in the puzzle piece here of their gospel, of their good news. And it's, not some, it's more than an individual thing. It's a national thing. Why in the world does all of, Jordan, all of Judea come out and do this? Because they understand they don't think like you and I think, folks. They think nationally. They never think individually. They think nationally. We were talking about that Mark 16 the other night. you got to pay attention. You, don't, you can never... Please don't read you back into their program because you is different. Okay? Now, come over to John 1. John chapter 1. Because this is probably the saddest verse, two verses, the saddest verse, John 1.11, that gives us the component, gives us the characteristics, gives us the environment as we're moving out of the Old Testament and into the Gospels. John 1, verse 11. And he came unto his own. Who's his own? Israel. And his own received him not. The nation. Now we're in the, re we're in the rejection time. Here he come. Now, by the way, verse 12, but as many as received him. Now, there's the little flock because they do, some do receive him. They receive who he is. Who is he? He's Messiah. He's Christ, the anointed one. You're in John 1. Just drop your eye in John 1 to verse 42, 41. He first, this is Andrew looking for Peter. They're disciples of John the Baptist. They hear Jesus speak. Now they're, now they're down talking to Jesus. They say, hey, where are you living? Where are you staying? And let's go to dinner. And they have a big Bible study over dinner. I'm in John 1, verse 40. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, 
which is being interpreted the Christ. There's Psalms 2, verse 2, the anointed one of the Lord. There he is. Now, th- now you have to think about this. Simon Peter was a believer in the, mess- in, the, in the Messiah way before he ever met the Messiah. Because what's John the Baptist preaching? The Messiah's coming. He's coming. And when he comes, he's bringing it in. And he's going to do what the prophet said he's going to do. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Notice they know who to take him to. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpretation of stone. Isn't that wonderful? Now drop down and look at verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Now, think about that. There's Nathanael. Here's Simon, Andrew, John, all these guys. And, oh, they didn't know anything about the Lord until they met him at the seashore. And he said, become followers of me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That is just such nonsense. You just read the passage. They understood who Christ was way before they ever met the man. Who'd they know? He's Messiah. He's the one. And they knew it by the ministry and the message and the preaching of John the Baptist. So John 1.11, what do we have? He came unto his own and his own received him not. By the way, that's fulfillment of Isaiah 9. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. It's a fulfillment of those prophet Psalm 69 where he's a reproach. He's a lamb led to the shear, dumb. All of that. But as many as received him, so there are some little flock. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's your Acts 2 passage, the power coming from the fulfillment of. Now come over to Hebrews 2. The fulfillment of and the fall of Hebrews chapter 2, the Holy Spirit. And we'll do, we're going to talk Acts next time. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4. Because when we come to the conclusion of the Gospels, we come to this passage, Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And I know what the preachers do with that today, and they get off and they run with it. But you've got to keep reading because it tells you what the great salvation is. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Well, what did the Lord say? Christ died for your sins, believe that, trust, you got eternal life. He didn't say that at all. What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am God, the Son of God. I am Messiah. You don't believe me? Look at what I've been doing. I fulfilled every prophetic scripture about who I said I am. I've done it. John the Baptist, he's in prison. He sends some disciples to the Lord and says, hey, if you're really the Christ, you know, and he gets it, and the Lord says, you go tell John and remind John of everything he saw me do 
And he knows that that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, of Isaiah 30. He knows that. You tell John to get, pick his bottom lip up and quit pouting. See, John's mad and upset because the Lord hadn't got him out of jail. See, John's thinking about his own high. But that's not where John's supposed to John's supposed to be in jail. He's to decrease and the Lord increase. And John needed to be reminded of that. You know what the Lord says? I am who that book says is coming. And I am bringing that kingdom. I, it is ready. It is going to be offered. But I got to leave. And when I die, I'll be taken away. Keep reading verse 3. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. What were the little flock in the twelve? They're his witnesses. They're the witnesses of the resurrection. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. You know what? Don't neg- Hebrews, you, bru- you bruised over there, you, Lord, you little flock, don't neglect the salvation that started preaching back here by our Lord and it's going to carry on out. Verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So there's a link. Now we got a book of Acts in there we'll talk about next time. So when we come out of the, the conclusion of the, of, the, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the little flock is, po- is poised to continue the ministry that Christ has trained them to perform. In John 17, he says, Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. And that work is training that little flock, getting the 12 apostles established, getting that believing remnant little flock established. I've trained them. I've, they're ready to occupy. They're ready to, to move to the next ministry issues and and give Israel a renewed opportunity of repentance and salvation under and while I'm gone and and the opportunity to be the God of Israel. We know what happened. We know the history. But man, when the gospels end, it, it isn't, oh no, we, now the believers are, you, we've killed the Messiah and, but it's just a continuation. You follow that? Hebrews 2 helps you understand what's happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What did he say? I am. And I have established. And I'm leaving. And you guys are going to carry on. And then I'll be back. And when I come back, I'll just set everything right. Okay? Now, You've got four Gospels, and we got a minute, a minute, a minute. <laughs> the reason you have four and not ten or eight or two or one, come to, to John 21. The reason you have four is because they are the four prophetic portraits that the prophets paint of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Matthew, or sorry, John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they would be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So each of the portraits, there's four of them, by the way, are not a complete portrait. 
obviously, if it was complete, you wouldn't be able to function in the world. It would be full of it. So the ones that are there are designed to promote and to teach the fact of what's happening. So in your handout there, because the minute's up, you've got Zechariah 9. And in Zechariah 9, 9, Zechariah writes, Behold your king. There's four behold statements, and there's four branch statements. Zechariah 9, 9, Behold your king. That's Matthew. Matthew portrays the Lord as king of Israel. Matthew is a governmental official. Matthew begins to write, and he writes, What says the Lord? What does the, what does the king say? That's why you get all this detail in certain areas. That's why you have a genealogy in Matthew. Zechariah 3, verse 8, Behold your servant. That's the book of Mark. Mark, is a, Mark was a servant to the apostles. He was a servant. And in, in a servant's case, we want to know, can they do the work? So Mark is, what does Jesus do? He, he does this and he does this. Mark, the, the, the fascinating word in Mark, or, or the main word in Mark is immediately. And. And Mark is the servant by the way, you have no genealogy in Mark. You know why? Nobody cares where the servants come from. What do we want to know? We just want to know, can they do the work? Luke, Dr. Luke, Zechariah 6, 12. Behold, your man, the man. And Luke portrays the Lord as and, 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 and how he felt, the doctor. By the way, we have a genealogy because of the man, and we need to know where he's coming from, the kinsman redeemer. Luke is Mary's genealogy. Matthew is, is, is Joseph's genealogy. Then in Isaiah 40, you've got John, and that is, Behold your God. And John, he says, he is the Son of God. There's no genealogy in John. You know why? Because God's everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. He didn't have a beginning. So then you go to Jeremiah 23. You got behold the branch. Zechariah 3, behold the branch. Uh, branch the king, branch the servant, branch the man, branch God. And you get those. You have four pictures. Matthew comes in and he writes on, again, Here's what the king says. Luke, Mark says, here's what, here's, what the save, here's what the Messiah is going to do, the servant. Luke says, here's how he felt about this in his humanity. John says, he's still God. He's deity. In Ezekiel 1, you have the cherubs described. They have four faces. Guess what they are? You have the face of a lion king of the jungle. You got a face of the ox, there's the servant. Then you got a face of a man, there's Luke. And then you've got a face of an eagle, the majestic bird of all, the God up in the soaring in the heavens, God. Again, we see conceptions in Matthew and Mark. We don't see them in Luke and John. We see the details of his birth in Matthew and in Luke. We don't see Mark and John. No need. We don't care about the servant, God doesn't have a birth date, see. 
The writers, Matthew, government official, he can write governmentally. Mark, the servant to the apostles there, he comes and he writes and he's doing the work. Luke, he's the doctor, the beloved physician. He's the one that gets Mary to open up. And he'll say over and over again, Mary pondered this in her heart. John, the, clo- the closest disciple, apostle to the Lord, he's the one that lays on the Lord's chest. John is the one that is the one that's magnifying and identifying the Antichrist to the little flock. He does it in the Gospel of John, he does it in the three Johns, and he does it in the book of the Revelation. He identifies, here's what's going to happen. He's the one that the Lord looks from Calvary and says, Son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And he turns the nation of Israel into the hands and the protective care of the little flock, i.e. John. There's no need for any more portrait than that. The four portraits are all that is needed to celebrate and to demonstrate the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul comes along and says, that guy right there, Israel's Messiah, he is our Redeemer. Him, he's our Savior. He's our head. He's theirs too, but he's also ours, given to him by that revelation. And we'll get into that. So, Matthew King, Mark the servant, Luke the man, John God. That's why there's not, there's not so when you hear about the, go, the Gospel of Thomas, just, okay, wonderful. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Enoch, the Gospel of Judas. Okay, that's not Scripture. Because we have four pictures, the prophets all talked about. And again, what are we doing? We're, we're right on line. We're still in the same economy. We're still in the same thought. The kingdom was prophesied. Now it's at hand. And next week when we look at the book of Acts, it'll be offered to a nation that's rejecting it. And then judgment, wrath is to come. But on that road to Damascus, instead of pouring out wrath and judgment, he pours out grace, peace, and long-suffering. And for that, we need to be very thankful. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so that we can see and understand and learn and develop and appreciate all that you have done for us today in the age of grace because you came and were born of a woman and walked the earth and fulfilled everything that the word of the Father had for you to fulfill and to do. And you did it willingly. And you did it by choice. And you did it for for all of mankind. And we thank you for that. And we read about it and we study it and we rejoice in it and we embrace it as it is you who came in the flesh for Israel first. And then through the hidden wisdom we understand the revelation of the hidden wisdom. We understand that you also did it for us today. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.